Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. The word we have to attach to it that differentiates him from the other prisoners on the boat. He was an uncondemned prisoner. He was awaiting a trial. He was going to Rome to stand before who? Caesar. And I just want you to see in this story how now the closer that he's getting to this, it is causing him probably a little bit of tension in his heart. You'll need to lean on the study notes today because obviously I can give you one point. So if you'd like all the detail of all the background, you can scan that and download to your device um, all the research, the links, the resources, so you can dig in and have a a deeper Bible study in this section at home. But Tom Wright provides a really good quote for this when we think about Acts 28, 11 to 16. Quote, as we think of the last stages of Paul's journey, he doesn't seem like a prisoner on his way to face the highest court in the known world. It actually feels as though he's on some type of celebratory procession. It seems more like a parade than the Green Mile, if you've no, you know, it seems more like he's, he's going to be celebrated and it's a good homecoming, high fives, people lining the, the third base line after he hits the home run. That's what this is going to seem like as we read this. It's going to seem much more like that than a condemned prisoner on his way to death. Let me read to you Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 14. Luke writes, it was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship. Where, where'd that ship come from? How'd they get on board? It had wintered at the island, and here's the irony. Guess where it was from? It was an Alexandrian ship. Now, what was their first, but where was their first boat from? Do you remember? Alexandria. So here's the irony. Another boat from Alexandria, they get on it. This one's a little bit different. Um, it had the twin gods as its figurehead. Do you know what a figurehead on an old boat was? kind of whatever those little carvings, you know, of faces or a design they put on the front of the boat. Luke just adds us, there really is no theological benefit to this. He just gives us a historic detail that struck him as interesting with the twin gods as its figurehead. You can read more in your notes about the twins god and twin gods, who they were, what they meant, all that other stuff. We'll keep reading. Our first stop was Syracuse. And you're thinking, they got blown way off course. They discovered America well before, no, 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 no. Not Syracuse, New York. That's the one that I know. I grew up watching their basketball team back when they used to be good. That's the only Syracuse I know. This is a different one. We stayed there three days. Syracuse was about a one-day travel from Malta to Syracuse. We stayed there three days. From there, we sailed across, across to Regium. A day later, when the south wind began blowing, uh, a day, I'm sorry, a day later, a south wind began blowing. So the following day, we sailed to up the coast to Putioli. Now we're starting to sound more Italian, even just, you know, they, they have ravioli or whatever olis they had. And you got to do this with your hands. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm German. We put my hand here. Um, and there, here's an interesting detail. We found some. Now that's interesting. How did they get there? They invited us to spend a week with them. And they did, which is crazy. Paul is a prisoner. What type of guard would allow a prisoner to go into town and to go find other Christians and hang out with them for a week? 
I guess just a guard who had developed such a rapport with a prisoner like Paul from watching him day in, day out for 90 days. He just knew who he was. He knew his character and said, I can trust this man. And here's just such an understatement here. And so we came to Rome. Very, very interesting thing. Just a couple details that might interest you. Syracuse was a famous city in the ancient world. It was considered the most important city in Sicily. Okay, Lots of reasons why you can read about that there later. Uh, Regium is the toe of the boot. Those of you who think of it on the globe, it's the toe of the boot. That was a ma- it was the major port city. And you know what all the boats did there? All the Alexandrian boats went, boats went there. You know what they did? They unloaded all their grain and they got a big payday for it. And one of the, which was it? Was it N.T. Wright or Longenecker who remarks? Uh, N.T. Wright says, if the ship owner of the original boat and his colleagues were still traveling with them, they were probably heartsick. Because they're thinking, oh, what could have been? Because get... They, get there, they were originally trying to get there to get the big payday, and they've lost their boat, they've lost their cargo, they've lost all their net worth. It is gone, and now they get here and have to watch someone else get the payday. But Luke doesn't spend a lot of detail. He kind of keeps the story moving, moving forward, and so I will too. Let's keep reading in verse 15. This is a facet. This is the, the one point I want to draw out from today. The brothers and sisters, so Luke is using that language to indicate what type of people is he talking about? Who would be considered brothers and sisters to him and Paul? Believers, yeah. The brothers and sisters all the way in Rome, which is like 66 miles away from where they were in Regium, they heard, word traveled quickly, they heard we were coming. And they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, now here's not the best translation. I'll give you the best one in a second. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and he thanked God. If you really go back and do your homework or you find somebody who's smarter than you in Greek, which I always do, what this, the best way of saying this would have been, he took encouragement encouragement was put out on the table and he said, you know what, I'll take it. When he saw them, who's the them? The believers who did what? Who came on foot 43 miles, I think, to meet him at the rest stop, the shops, the marketplace called the Forum on the Appian Way. The Appian Way was the main highway between uh, where they were in Puteoli that ran all the way to Rome, about 66 miles, I think. I'm trying to do it off the top, top of my head for time. Fact check the notes. The notes are right on. I think it was 66 miles. Well, the rest stop at the Forum was 43 miles from Rome or 23 miles from where Paul was. So word over that week had gotten through this network of believers. Paul's here. Paul's here. Paul's here. Now, here's my other question. They have no internet. They have no TV. How in the world would the believers put any importance on this guy, Paul? He hadn't been there. Why, number one, would they care that he was there and on his way to Rome? Why would the believers even be interested? Why, when that word got to Rome, would believers in the house churches there say, Paul, Paul's here. Let's go. Let's let." Let's go to him. He's coming our way. Let's go to him. Well, the only reason you would do that is if an emperor or a king came to town, you'd go meet them at the boat and walk them the whole way to your city. They're giving him a king's welcome. 
Why in the world? Well, three years earlier, a messenger by the name of Phoebe made, made it to Rome and found some Christians there and handed over a letter Paul had written to them that we call the book of Romans. He wrote that letter three years prior to his arrival. And he probably, like N.T. Wright says, like an artist who completes their life's work and ships it to a museum overseas, he's probably wondering how that artwork was received on the other end. And by their reception, the fact that they have heard of him They've read his letter, and their response to that letter is they could not wait to receive him one day. They go the whole way to him. He didn't expect it. He didn't extract it. He didn't demand it. And when he finds them, and they find him at the first rest stop along the way, and they greet him so warmly, and they hug his neck, and they encourage him and they, 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 they care for him and they, they're probably just reflecting with him what they know about him from his letter. Two reactions Paul has. He took encouragement, which means that his courage, to, you know what encouragement means? It means to give somebody what? Courage. When you enable somebody, you give them the ability to do. When you encourage somebody, you're giving them encouragement, which means we all have an encouragement tank. A courage tank. What do you need it for? You need it to do the things you don't want to do. Many times that you should do. To face things you don't want to face, but it's in front of you and you need to face it. That's what you need courage for. God knows that tank constantly leaks. And because I don't have much time, what I can tell you is that God created something called the church body to be responsible for watching over your brother and your sister's tank as they watch over yours. And if we all simply do our God-given job within the church, everyone will have supplied for them more than enough courage to face the things in life they need to face, but their flesh doesn't want to face. To be the person we know we want to be, but we're afraid to be for a measure. And every time you face those things, the antidote is courage. You take some courage, you apply it, you press that pedal, and that is what gives you the need to, to tackle those things. Paul is getting closer and closer and closer to facing Caesar And I don't have time to tease this out for you this morning. But I want you to know that as Luke is counting down the miles to Rome, so is Paul. And he would be inhuman if it wasn't starting to leave him just a little bit unsettled. There's excitement, but this man could also and eventually would call for his head. He knows God has preserved him for this, which is the other point I can't get to. This story is yet another reminder that God who makes promises fulfills them. I would encourage you to make part of your ongoing Bible study locating promises that God makes to everybody in the Bible. 
I call these the evergreen promises. Because there's probably some specific things and unique to you things that God will speak to you through his spirit or through people, through messengers. But get to know God. God is not just a great promise maker. He's a great, great promise keeper. And I know we place an enormously high value on people keeping their word. You know, it was taught to me, never break a promise. So the cynical part of me came up with a solution for that. Can any of you guess what it is? (laughs) Don't make many promises. (laughs) My five-year-old constantly tries to pin me down to making a promise. And I, listen, he is the great promise custodian. He will forget where his shoes are two minutes later, but he will be like, Dad, when I was in the womb, I heard through the, I heard you say something. (laughs) I'm like, dude, I don't even remember that. What does that tell you of God's character if he makes, depending on whose definition, between six and 1,200 promises in the Bible that are good for everybody? He promised, Paul, you'll get to Rome. Many times Paul looked and said, I don't believe you. Quick story, since I'm here, um, the five-year-old. Discovered this week when my wife, my wife's school has a feeding program. She serves in a Title I school. She teaches public school and wants to be, her calling is she's like, I want to be in Title I schools in the most underserved areas, and I want to go in there and bring my, educa- I want to bring my educational gifts to them. Well, she got it. And, you know, their school has a feeding and a clothing program. And uh, so, you know, they partner with grocery stores. A lot of these kids don't even have breakfast in the morning. So, you know, how can you learn if you don't have food? So, you know, uh, they're serving fresh fruit. And sometimes she brings home the leftovers. They bring way too much. They don't want to go bad. And after the kids have had all they want, we bring home. Well, this last week they brought home something I had never had, a golden kiwi. I know, right? Stay with me. There's a payoff here, I promise. Well, she brought them home and Isaiah tried one. My five-year-old tried one. He's like, these are the best thing that have ever happened. Well, he ate them all. We had like three or four. He ate them all. And then he said to me that night, he's like, dad, you know what I want for breakfast tomorrow? I want golden kiwi. I was like, well, buddy, it's 9 p.m. It's not going to be here by tomorrow, but if I have time tomorrow, I will go to the one grocery store that I can get to over my lunch break. I'll see if they have them. I'll bring them home for you. Do you promise? No, but I will do my best. Well, over my lunch break, I went to the giant over across the street, found them. All they had were packs of four for $5. And I'm doing the math. I'm like, really? Do I love them? $1.25? I'm like, man, inflation. I'm like, all right. Well, we'll treat them to these golden kiwi. And I'm thinking, he better like them. I bring them home, and I get home like a minute before their school bus gets there. I put them on the counter. He comes up the steps, and I can already tell I'm going to be examined. He comes up. I was like, how's your day, buddy? And he... Did you bring home the golden kiwis? I said, yes. He got all excited. He ran inside. He opens the refrigerator. He slams the door, and he comes up to me. And this is his new catchphrase. And it's hilarious because he's five. How dare you? (laughs) Like, that's extreme. And I'm thinking, where is this going? Because I thought I passed the test. I'm like, how dare I what? I put the golden kiwi out there. You did not. You you broke your promise. You're a li- you have lied to me. And now I'm kind of going to let this play out because I'm the dad. I know I didn't lie. And I'm going to let him sit in this tension for a minute. And then I was like, yes, I did. I looked all over the refrigerator. And then I realized he only expects golden kiwi to live in the refrigerator. 
and he had narrowed down his idea of whether or not I kept the promise, and he was looking in the wrong place. And he concluded I was a liar. And so I was like, come here, buddy. And I'm like, I'm getting so much joy out of this because I'm like, and I, <laughs> I said, <laughs> This is exactly what happened. It would end better if I changed the story, but here's what happened. I said, here they are, buddy. And he looks at them, and he looks at me. He goes, fine. (laughs) You know what I see here? It reminds me, there's a lot of different times Paul could have looked in the wrong place and concluded, I'm I'm in jail. God forgot about me. I must have missed it. I'm on a boat that's going down. I must have missed it. And yet every time God came along and said, no, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I know you're looking in the refrigerator right now, but there's something on the counter that is coming. Maybe I wasn't planning on that, but that was maybe the point you needed to hear today. And you can listen at 11 for the other point, (laughs) okay? But let me just give you that point, and then we'll close because I'm out of time. I'll read the rest of the chapter. We'll close. Here's the other point. Encouragement is a gift that should be figure out you're part of all these things here. I see it all in the story. It should be given generously. Now here, some of us excel in that. That's just, it comes out naturally. Others are saying, pastor, I'm not a natural encourager. That's okay. Be a supernatural encourager. There's just certain things you don't get a pass on because it's not your natural personality in God's kingdom. It's a gift God gives you to be able to fill somebody else's tank. Well, what about my tank? Your job's not to watch your tank. That's your family's job. Well, they're not doing it. Well, then walk closer to them and make it easy for them because maybe you're failing on this one. You should receive encouragement, thankfully. I'll never get encouraged. And someone encourages you and you say, oh, you don't mean that. You did a great job today. Oh, that was terrible. I love the meal. Oh, this, you look nice in that dress. Oh, this old thing. You know what you're saying to the person? Don't encourage me anymore. I don't want it. I don't know why that's part of the human world. God, just encourage me, encourage me, encourage me, and someone comes along and encourages you, and you blow it off. Paul took encouragement. Well, that's him being arrogant. No, that's him being a child of God, receiving a vitamin that he needs to be the man that God's called him to be. He needs some courage. God put it out there for him through the form of these people that got a letter from him that says... (laughs) I'll read it to you in a second. I'm going to pair together what he wrote to them in the second paragraph of his letter three years earlier and how it was fulfilled in this chapter. Receive it thankfully, real quick. In my newsreader, two weeks ago, I should have bookmarked it, and now I lost it. You could probably find it if you Google it. Article caught my attention. It said, the best way to respond to someone saying thank you. And it was one of those things, I'm like, I'm going to skip the first 10 paragraphs and then get to what the answer is. And they say, here's the best way to respond. You ready? You're welcome. Not, no worries, no problem, it's no big deal. Just say, you're welcome. There's a whole lot of reasons why I don't have time. But it should be exchanged mutually. You should never be the sole giver of encouragement or the sole receiver of it. Within your church family, and again, pastors should encourage the people, says God. How are we supposed to do it? Through the teaching of the word. People are supposed to encourage the pastor by praying for them. Because you're supposed to watch my tank while I watch yours. But guess what? I'm just going to be honest with you. I can't watch everybody's. I'm sorry. I cannot be at every funeral, every wedding. I can't. I'm one person. When we were a church of 20, I could. We're not that anymore. 
but it's valid. Somebody needs to be watching that. I'm going to do my part, but guess what? If we'll do that for each other and then say, well, that's not to the pastor's detriment because they weren't the one who poured it in there. Someone else did, so I'm going to take their encouragement, but I'm going to wait for him to pour it. Listen, we're a body. Make a friend. Talk to somebody. Pour into someone else's life, and it'll come back to you. It just does. Well, it never comes back to me. Then make some other friends. Additional friends. I'm not saying cut them off. Make some additional friends and pray for them that they get with it because that's part of who we are. should be exchanged mutually. Where do you get that idea from? Can I read you just a short part from his letter he sent three years ago, very beginning, Romans chapter 1, verse 10 through 12. This is one of the first things they would have heard about Paul. Now, this is amazing to me. This is why studying acts like this is going to pay off when you read other books of the Bible. I'm so excited about this. I have one minute to finish. One of the, this is him writing three years earlier to people he never met who got the letter who meet him at the three taverns and at the forum. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, here's my favorite phrase, God willing, to come at last to see you. You see, even three years before this whole journey started, he had a desire to come see the Christians there. I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. Listen to this, listen to this. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Three years earlier, Paul said, I'm gonna need to hit a rest stop before I get to Rome if I ever make it there. And I might be low on courage. It might kill me to get me there. But I hope that if we can meet one day, we can exchange some encouragement. Then I can encourage you in the way that's natural for me, and the best thing I can do is teach you something. But I need to be encouraged just by the fact of being around some other people of faith because it gets lonely out here. And then can I read to you what we reread, what I just read today? Acts chapter 28, verse 15, three years later. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming and they came to meet us at the forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns and when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. We all need it, we all can give it, and we can look out for one another. Amen? Let me finish. I'll just read the chapter without any more teaching. Let me just finish it just because I like to put a a period on these places so we can start fresh. Verse 16, when we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Now, there's in the old English translation, there's one little phrase that's left out. You'll have to go to your notes to get it. It's cool. It talks about... The one phrase that they left out in the NLT that's in the old English translation is that, and Julius turned over the prisoners to the new guard. Could you think of anybody who was more relieved in their life than Julius? He's the guy who had, was just supposed to get Paul from here to there and ended up spending like half a year with the guy. Shipwrecked, swimming, but what a cool relationship he developed with Paul. Now, Paul was allowed to live under house arrest, even though he was guarded by being chained to a soldier. Every four hours, they would rotate those soldiers in and out. And Paul writes, I'll save that for next week. Because what do you think Paul wanted to talk to these guys about? He tells us how effective he was in a later, a letter he writes while he was in imprisonment and says there is a revival spreading throughout the captain's guard. (laughs) He's like, go ahead, chain yourself to me. What do you want to talk about, guys? (laughs) Where are you going? Hey, where are you going? (laughs) Captive audience, right? Let's pray. Worship team, come on back. I know. Yeah, worship team. Yeah, my, you got to get a dad joke. 
Jesus, we enjoy you and we love you. I hope that today we can walk out of here receiving encouragement from you and through other people. Lord, even right now in this moment, I pray across this room that you'll drop into the heart of every boy and girl, every student, every man and woman in this room, some one person in their life that they can offer some encouragement this week through a written word, through a spoken word, through a texted word, through a typed word, maybe through a gift or through an act of service, through just some time together. Father, may students think of their parents who need the courage sometimes just to get up and go to work, even though they don't want to, they're doing it for their kids. Father, may you bring encouragement to us from unexpected places and sincerity. Paul didn't expect to receive anything in these towns, but people, you put it on their heart to encourage him, and that made the encouragement so much more powerful because it came from, it wasn't extracted, it wasn't expected, it wasn't demanded, it just flowed naturally. And it gave him the courage to walk those final miles to Rome and live out the rest of his calling with honor and dignity. So help us to be generous in giving encouragement, to be gracious and thankful in receiving and accepting encouragement and to be faithful in exchanging it. Father, you're the great promise keeper. And so we lean into the promises you've made over our lives. And even when you don't seem to put it in the place we expect it, we're reminded that you're a good father and we trust you. If there would be anyone here this morning who doesn't know God as your father, You don't have a good relationship with him and you would like to. This is your moment. We call it salvation. It's when we repent and we believe. We turn away from the way that we are living and we turn to Jesus. And we put into words what we believe about him. We believe in what we believe about ourselves. We believe we're sinners and we need to be saved. We believe that Jesus can save us because he defeated sin. He defeated death. And he has taken our punishment in advance and paid it off through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. And therefore, in him, we can stand judgment before the Lord and hear the words, well done. And we believe Jesus will save us if we ask. So if that's what you want today, all you need to do is right now, simply say that to Jesus in your own words. A simple prayer says, Jesus, I'm a sinner I need to be saved. I'm sorry for sinning against you. You're the Lord. I know you died for me and you paid my penalty. And through you, I have forgiveness. And so today I confess that to you. I receive forgiveness from you. And I commit to your Lordship in my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, you're saved. Here's one thing that I ask if you'd be brave enough to do it. It's not a requirement, just an option. If you prayed that prayer with me today, I would love to celebrate with you. I'm going to count to three. You prayed that prayer with me. Would you just slip up your hand, make eye contact with me, and you can put it right back down. One, two, three. Anybody at all this morning that prayed that prayer with me? Wonderful. All right. Amen. Why don't we open our eyes, lift our heads? Why don't we stand together? I will speak to you in more detail over the next few weeks about Operation Christmas Child. I have ordered 
uh, a good supply of their pre-printed shoe boxes to fill with gifts. They shipping, it takes a little bit right now. So I'm hoping that they will be here this week. Next week with our kids and over the next two weeks, I'll spend more time unpacking that. The way we close our service this morning is we're going to pray, we're going to worship, we're going to give. So our prayer team is coming. If you would like prayer about anything at all, please come and let us pray with you. We'd be more, it would be our joy to, to pray with you. We're going to give of our tithes, of our offerings. We're going to give to missions so that we can continue to send monthly support to our 20 missionaries that we support, including Jeff and Megan and their family. Our worship team is going to lead us in a, in, a, in a song of reflection that we can think about that idea of encouragement and we can think about and reflect on the goodness and the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. And then Pastor James will, will close us out this morning with just one big thing to remember. Let me pray over you this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the encouragement that they, I know uh, how much they encourage me and my family and our walk with the Lord. And that one special family that went out of their way to, to show uh, just encouragement to us, even as I walked in the building today. Father, they know who they are and you do too. I pray that you'll just let them feel their pleasure for doing their work today. Let them receive reciprocal encouragement for you, for all, uh, for their heart for you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our church, in your kingdom, in this community. And I trust you to provide all of the funding and the resources that we need to simply accomplish that mission and to expand it. You know the ideas that I'm ready to bring to the congregation on one of these Sundays where I have more time about some exciting things, that some improvements and some extensions and some additions to our ministry here that are going to be coming in the weeks ahead. And we've only been able to do that because of the faithfulness that you've been to, how faithful you've been to us and then how faithful our people are being to you. So I just pray today that you, that you continue to strengthen us. Lord, we know you're going to provide for us because that's who you are and we trust you. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and everybody said, amen. God bless. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.